0: Amen and amen. How we doing, church? Doing good. Hey, I'm gonna tell you, the nine o'clock service was a little sleepy, so I need your help. And I need you to be awake. We're gonna have a lot of fun here today. It's gonna be good times. I'm in a really good mood because I'm having a great weekend. How's your weekend going? It's going good. Mine's going extra good. We are in the fourth week of this of this five week series that leads us into the next two years. It's called the Ten Ten Life. It comes from John 10:10 that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, "I have come." that you may have life and have it abundantly. I'm having an abundant weekend. On Friday night, my high school team won. Not the one I went to, that was 100 years ago. But my son plays for Providence, and so I uh, ran over there and he got an interception to seal the game, so that's cool, pretty cool. And then yesterday, my college team win. I, I think most of us in here, we're into it, right? Florida State won, Georgia obviously won, Alabama lost, praise God for that. Yeah. Now that ain't what Jesus was talking about. But it feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? And guess what, maybe he will give us a wink of his miraculous working power and even the Jags will win today. Because you know what raiders are known for? Stealing and killing and destroying. And only the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And one of the things that will rob you of an abundant life is fear. We're gonna today look at Acts chapter three and Acts chapter four, okay, two whole chapters. So the next three or four hours, we will be able to get out of here. And one of the things that was happening in and around the early church was based on the circumstances, there was a whole bunch of fear. And yet, in the face of fear, the, the disciples were able to make bold steps of faith. And what we're gonna see in these two chapters are four significant steps of boldness in the disciples that propel the church for the next 2,000 years. You see, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and one of his primary ways of stealing and killing and destroying God's best for you is this spirit of fear because fear lies to us. And the, and the, the way that you attack fear is simply this. Where the spirit of God is, fear ain't because where the spirit of God is, there is Freedom. Where the Spirit of God is, there is power, there is love, there is a sound mind, self-control. And so, God will always do his part because perfect love drives out fear. But what we're gonna see in Acts 3 and 4 is not only the Spirit of God driving fear out, but we are going to see regular, ordinary followers of Jesus take bold steps of faith, of obedience, in the direction that he calls them to. You see, before you get to Acts 3, what has happened The reason that the disciples are so afraid is because they've just arrested and crucified their leader. And so they know if they arrest our leader, surely they're coming for us, they're kinda freaking out. And so the disciples are huddled together in this room, they don't know what to do, they don't have a plan. And then Jesus just shows up. The resurrected Christ shows up and he appears to over 500 people for about seven weeks in the place where he was arrested where he was crucified, where he was dead, and where he was buried, but he came out of the grave. And while the disciples are in this room, the women go to prepare the body, and you know why they have to prepare the body? Because a couple of men prepared the body the first time, so they have to come and clean up after the up. Can I get an amen from the mamas in the house? That's what has to happen. But when they get there, the tomb is empty, so they come running back to the disciples, and they're like, he's not there, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And then a little while later, Jesus shows up in the upper room, And he says, don't be afraid, why? Because they're afraid, they're freaking out, they're scared. And then the Bible says that Jesus breathes on them. And if you read this, especially in light of COVID, you think, what are you doing? You're supposed to breathe on people? And the Bible doesn't say how it happens, I don't know if it's like birthday cake style, he gets them all together and you know, right there and goes, one big breath. Or if it's one at a time, he's like, what's up Peter? Peter's like, come on man, how you gonna breathe on a man's face like that? But you see what Jesus is actually doing is he is recreating the creation. Because God breathes the breath of life into Adam. He opens his eyes and he is face to face with his heavenly father and then he screws it up. So then the greater Adam, the perfect Adam, Jesus comes and does what Adam couldn't do. He lives the life that we ought to live. He dies the death that we ought to die. He is resurrected from the grave and now he is breathing life into the new followers of Jesus and say, hey, we're gonna do this again. And so they go out from that place. That's what's happening. Then they go to They go to the other side of the Mount of Olives. And before Jesus ascends to the right hand of God the Father, he says, hey, let me tell you what's about to happen. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And don't be afraid, because I'm going to be with you. The way way Luke records it in Acts 1-8, he says this, and you will receive power. So before you come up with a strategy of how you're gonna take the gospel to the ends of the earth, before you do that, you ain't gonna be able to do it on your own. So why don't you go and you wait, and I'm gonna send you a helper. I'm gonna send you a gift. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. In Greek, the word is paraclete. Here's how you remember it. It's like a paraclete. When you play ball, it'll it'll keep you rooted on the ground, and you can change directions. And I know that's dumb, but you'll never forget it now. Paraclete, that's what we need. So the Spirit of God can just send us where we need to go when we slip sliding all over the place. And he says this, and when I send the Spirit, you will receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You won't be the judge, you won't be the bailiff, you won't be the the prosecuting attorney, you won't be the defense attorney. We don't need that. You will be my witness. And so sure enough, 50 days or so after the resurrection, the disciples are in the upper room and they're waiting, and then sure enough, while they are praying, there's a fresh wind and there's a fresh fire. And the Bible says that the disciples are immersed in the Holy Spirit. The tongues like fire come out of heaven and they land on the disciples and the disciples start, don't just relax here, Baptist, we just do it by the book, and the disciples start speaking in Tongues. And they start speaking, and here's what's crazy, man. It's almost like they're speaking Polish and everybody's hearing American, okay? In their own accent, that's what's happening. And it's the day of Pentecost, it's a big celebration. So everybody that had anything to do with Jerusalem, they were all there. He, it was like Georgia, Florida. We can talk about that too if you want to, okay? It, there was everybody together. It was RV City. And then, and then <clears throat> Peter is speaking his language and everybody is hearing it in theirs and they're like, what is going on here? And then the apostle Peter sees a crowd and he says, ooh, I should speak. And so he steps up and he preaches the very first church sermon in the history of church. And it was not a seeker-sensitive sermon. He said, you killed the author of life, but he is resurrected from the grave. Repent and be baptized and put your faith in him. And then 3,000 men that day put their faith in Jesus. So I'll tell you this, if you don't like big churches, you probably wouldn't be here, but if you don't like big churches, you'd have hated the first one. It grew by 3,000 in one service, and that's just men, so there may be like four or 5,000 people there. And so now, this thing is going and going and going. And what we're going to see over the next two chapters are four acts of boldness that propel the church for the next 2,000 years. So that's the context of what's happening. So the next day or so, you get to Acts chapter three, and it says this, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those who entered the temple. Now see, this is a good plan, this is a good strategy, because here's what this crippled man knows. People that are on their way into the temple probably have a little change in their pocket going jing-a-ling-a-ling, and they are going to pray, and if you could hit them up for prayer on their way in, maybe they'll think, you know what, if I do a good deed, then maybe God will give me what I'm asking for in prayer. And so that's what he does every single day. He's hanging out on the way into the temple. Asking for alms, verse three, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. And you think, this man thinks, it's sweet. Anytime you ask for something and somebody says, look at my face, you think it's gonna go good. He says, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. You know why he says this? Because he's in ministry. (laughs) He ain't got no money. So, you can laugh. It's true when you know. But whatever. That's not why we do it. He says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Now, listen to this, man. How many of you know that God has never promised to give us all that we want, but he does promise to give us all that we need? Have you ever noticed this too? Oftentimes, the very things that we are asking God for are not the things that we need. This man says, hey, can I get some change? And he's thinking about like you know, a few quarters, some denarii or whatever. Can I get some change? And Peter's like, oh, I got some change for you. But it ain't the kind that's gonna go in your little purse. I got some change for you that's gonna change your life forever and ever and ever, amen. In fact, later in Peter's life, he's gonna write this down. He says this, that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You know what this means? If you don't, if if God hasn't given it to you, it could be because you don't need it. Let me put this in like Jacksonville speak, okay? That God will always give you everything you need to accomplish everything God has called you to accomplish. And you can't stop that, man. And so he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The first thing that I see among the disciples is this, bold faith. They have bold faith. I mean, it's one thing, if a man is crippled, he asks for some money, and you say, like, hey man, I ain't got no money. But I tell you what I do, I'll pray for you. I got good news, I'm going into a prayer meeting. And so I'll get together here in the prayer meeting, and I'll fill out the card, and we will pray, hey, I have an unspoken, or I'll pray for this guy out here. If it's God's will, maybe he can go to physical therapy and like, make his feet work. But that's not what he does, man. He proclaims this thing out loud, boldly. Like everybody's listening is about to figure out and they're about to see if he can be healed or not. I'm just gonna tell you right now, man. If I find myself in the kind of place this man is and he needs a miracle of God, guess who I ain't getting to pray for me? A Presbyterian an Anglican, a Methodist, nah, man, they'll be like, oh, nah, you can keep that. I want some of you fiery Pentecostals in the house. You know what I'm saying? I want some people that believe in miracles. I want some people that are gonna call down the fire of heaven. I want people not that they're just going like, mm mm-hmm, I want people like slinging oil up on me, going, come on, rise up and walk. That's what Peter does. Now, look here, after he speaks the word, though, the man's still laying on the ground. Look at the next verse, and, He took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. You see, this is the boldness of faith. You know what bold faith is? Bold faith is acting as if you actually believe Jesus is who he says he is, and he always keeps his promises. So it wasn't just saying the thing. You can say whatever you want. But then he acts on it, and he reaches out his hand. I mean, what if it doesn't work? And he's just dragging the guy along. But Jesus heals the man. And when he reaches out his hand, that's when the miracle takes place and the man stands up immediately. Which leads me to ask this question. I wonder how many miracles are still sitting on the sidewalk. Because we felt a thing. We believed a thing. We just didn't do a thing. Look, as we roll out this 1010 life, your thoughts about the unborn ain't gonna help nobody. Your beliefs about first responders ain't gonna help nobody. We have to do something about it. This is what he does. By bold faith he reaches out his hand and look at the response of the man. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple. First thing he does with his life is go to worship. If you know Jesus, you have experienced the greatest eternal miracle of all time that you were dead in your trespasses and now you were made alive and our natural normative response ought to be to worship. And not like a mannequin like some of you, like you just got, this fella jumped up and leapt his way to worship. And he entered into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Here's what I'm praying through the 1010 life. I pray that the whole watching world will see the lives changed of the people that we're gonna reach out to from womb to tomb and that they will be filled with wonder and amazement at what is happening to these people by the power of God. But your thoughts and feelings ain't gonna change it. We've gotta do something about it. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to our website and I need you to, on there it says 1010 Life, click that, and then there is a place where it says Interest Form. And I don't need us to just feel some things. I need us to click on there and do some things, okay? And we need, a, we need a thousands of volunteers. And not the kind of volunteers like Tennessee that talk a bunch of noise and don't show up to the big event. Come on, that's funny right here. I don't care who you are. That's the best thing I'm gonna say all day. <clears throat> and listen, man, if you're from Tennessee, God bless you, right? welcome. These paved roads and indoor plumbing is nice, ain't it? All right, so. um, But now you can be a part of a winning team. Come on, be a part of what we're doing. So listen, I want you to go to this. And whatever, wherever God is leading you, because we're gonna fight, we're gonna fight for the life of the unborn, okay? Okay. And so, if that's what you're interested in, you'll fill it out, and you'll be able. There'll be a link there. You click it, and then somebody from our team will follow up with you on what you can do. And this isn't just for the. This isn't just for women in our church. We we need some men to volunteer to go to First Coast Women's Services, because oftentimes when a couple comes in, then we need some men to sit down with these fellas and tell them, "Look here, dude. Boys do what they want. Men do what they should," and have these conversations. Okay. So we need a bunch of you to volunteer there. If God's leading you to foster, then there's a place where you could click that button. And here's what we need in regard to foster care. First of all, if you're already fostering children, we need to know who you are. Would you text the word foster to 441122 so that we could come around you and love and pray for and support you? We also need people, and you've already responded to this, man, if you've got a business, if you've got a skill where you could help foster families, we need to know who that is. And then we also need an army of people that can just do anything, whatever, write a note, say a prayer, bring a casserole to a family because we wanna surround every single family that God calls to foster. If you wanna get in the war to, to fight to release children from poverty in Jesus' name, we're gonna internationally do that through Compassion, locally through the Boys and Girls Club. You could volunteer there. Or maybe you wanna get in the fight in regards to human trafficking. There's a spot for you there. Or maybe you wanna get in the fight for first responders. Do you know that the suicide rate among first responders is exponentially higher than everybody else? What if God used you to save a life or to save a marriage? And so if that's you, regardless of what your background is, that you would go there. Or maybe at one point in your life you walk through a hell, a living hell, and either you know somebody that committed suicide or there was a mental health crisis in your family or in you or something, and now you believe that God could use one of your greatest pains as a platform for his grace and ministry, maybe you would sign up and be a volunteer there. Or maybe it's volunteer in our prison ministry or our special needs ministry or our senior adult ministry. Yeah, man, I need us to not just like think a thing. We need to reach out our hand with bold faith, trusting that God is going to do miracles through our acts of obedience. So you can go there right now, and you need to do it right now, because if you wait till Tuesday, you'll forget, okay? And so, they're walking in. He says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk, reach down and picks him up, and the dude starts hopping around, and people start seeing this, and a crowd gathers, another crowd, And the apostle Peter says, oh, there's a bunch of people here. I should speak again. That's what he says. I love Peter. And so he preaches a sermon. This is the second sermon in Christian history. And if you look at the context of the second sermon, it's the same as that of the first sermon, which warms my heart, because I pretty much just say the same thing here every week. He doesn't tell them, you know what, you're so special. No, he says, you are wretched, crooked, and depraved, black-hearted sinners. God sent the author of life, and you killed him but he was resurrected on the third day, so repent and be baptized and put your faith in Jesus. And on that day, 5,000 more men surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, here's why this is important, okay? Peter does not think it is enough to simply demonstrate the gospel. He understands that you better also declare the gospel. We do both. Like, we hope and pray that God would use us to eliminate all human suffering especially eternal. It is not enough to just feed hungry people so they feel good about themselves on their way to hell. Amen. What a waste of time that would be. You declare and demonstrate the gospel. That's what he's doing. And so in his sermon, he says, you, you murdered the author of life. Then in verse 19, he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That means obliterated. And then here's the 1010 life. Here's the abundant life. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now here's what's crazy, he's preached two sermons and 8,000 men have come to Christ. And during this sermon, during the invitation, he's being arrested and 5,000 people get saved. Have you ever thought about how this works? Like he's getting, I don't know how it works, he's getting handcuffed and run off and he's like, anybody want to surrender to Jesus, raise your hand. And 5,000 people, listen, in our services, one Yeti cup rolls around in here and 30 of you don't hear the rest of the sermon. You're like, what happened, okay? And they're not distracted. Anybody want to sign up for this? You might get arrested and go to jail, but it's worth it because you'll walk in an abundant life, a refreshing that comes from the Lord. And 5,000 men are like, we're in. And the church is off and running. Why? Because of a bold faith, which leads to the second thing, which is a bold witness. Now in chapter four, verse seven, if you'll go there, Peter and John have been arrested. The Bible says this. And when they had set them, that's Peter and John, in the midst, in the midst here is the Sanhedrin. And the way the Sanhedrin, that was like the ruling body. There was a group of people called the Sadducees and they didn't believe in a resurrection. And Peter is preaching about the resurrection of Christ. So they get the temple guards and they're like, the Bible says they're very agitated or aggravated or frustrated. and says, arrest these men because they're talking about the resurrection. And the Sadducees don't even believe in a resurrection. And here's how you can remember this, you see. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. See, you'll remember. Now, I know that's dumb and that's kindergarten, but I have given you two word studies now that you can remember, Paraclete and Sadducee. That's how I graduated seminary, right there, all right? So you're welcome. And so when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, All right, let me talk to the charismatics in the house. All right, listen. When you put your faith in Jesus, there is one immersion in the Holy Spirit. That when you put your faith in Jesus, he deposits the Spirit of God in you forever and ever. Amen, okay? But multiple times, you are going to see Peter, who has already been immersed in the Holy Spirit. The word immerse and baptism are the same thing in Greek, okay? But now he's gonna be filled with the Spirit multiple times over. Now, Listen. That the Spirit of God is not like a potion that you need to be topped off with every single week. The Spirit of God lives in you, and it's not really like you need more of him. The question is, does he have all of you? Amen. One of our newest youth pastors, Ryan Sweat, shared this illustration with me in a meeting last week, and I thought it was very helpful. Helpful, He said, if you took a balloon and you blew air into it and filled it up, you would say, is this full? The answer would be like, yes. What is it full of? It's full of this, the air that I blew in it. But then if you took it and added a few more breaths, you would have more breaths in there, but it would still be full Let me tell you where the Spirit shows up. The Spirit shows up where he is wanted. When you have the flexibility like a balloon to say, come on, Lord, fill me up and use me however you would. If you say it, I will do it. That's what Peter and John are doing here. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now notice, notice where the boldness comes from. The boldness comes from the Spirit, not from Peter. And he says to them, rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, and he could have chickened out here, he could have made excuses, he could have been like, Oh, my bad, I was just trying to help. It's not what he does. Look what he does. Verse 10: Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, that's not gonna help his cause whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. You see, they brought him. Here's exhibit A. You don't believe me? Look at this dude. He's over there hopping, doing his little halal Yahweh over there. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then here it is. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's what he's saying. He's he ain't saved in my name. He ain't saved in our church's name. There is one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Now, here's what's crazy, man. If you're new to Bible study, you might not know this. Seven weeks before this, Peter makes this bold claim. It's it's at communion. It's at the Lord's table, the last supper. And Jesus says, one of you gonna betray me. And and Peter's like, not me, man. I got you. I would die for you. And Jesus is like, look, (laughs) uh, before the alarm clock goes off, you're gonna deny me three times. And he's like, no way. Sure enough, that night, they arrest Jesus. They're taking him to Caiaphas' house, the high priest, where they're gonna pluck his beard out and punch him in the face. And Peter is following along, and a guy comes up to him and says, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter goes, nope, not me. A few minutes later, a servant girl comes up to him, and says, I recognize you, you're one of the disciples. He goes, no way, not me. And here's what's crazy. That servant girl in the first century, she couldn't even testify in a court of law because he wasn't considered a citizen. And then next it says, Peter's warming himself by a charcoal fire. That matters, these details matter, a charcoal fire. And a guy says to him, aren't you one of his disciples? And for the third time, the Bible says he curses and says no, so think about this, he says no. I mean, what cuss word would you use? You ever heard the phrase, cuss like a sailor? Peter was a fisherman, that's what he's talking about. Now I know some of you would be like, Butterfinger, or whatever you say, God bless your ministry. (laughs) One of our elders' wives. She's holy and pure. And he says, blank, no. And then as soon as that happens, the rooster crows. He denies that he even knows who Jesus is three times after he'd been warned. Now you fast forward about seven weeks, and he's standing in front of the group of people that had Jesus crucified, and they say, by what name? And he says, I'm about to tell you what name. There's one name under heaven whereby we must be saved, and his name is Jesus. What happened to this man? Two things happened. One, he had breakfast with the resurrected Jesus. He, he goes fishing after the crucifixion, and Jesus shows up on the shores and calls out, you catch any fish? And he's like, man, we ain't got nothing. He says, try to the other side. Think about it, man, he's a pro fisherman. He's thinking, does this man not know there's not sides under the boat? It's all just the Sea of Galilee? Whatever, dude, throws it over, 153 fish. One of the disciples, John, is like, this smells like Jesus. Peter fishes with no shirt on like our Elder Rusty, and he throws a jacket on, and he goes and swims to be with Jesus, and Jesus has made a charcoal fire. Here's why, you would not warm yourself by a charcoal fire. You know you hoity-toity green egg folks? You know how much money you spend on that fancy charcoal? That's this. If you were just gonna burn that, you would just do sticks and twigs and stuff to warm yourself. And so what Jesus does in the Sea of Galilee is he creates the very environment where Peter denied Jesus, and he's gonna give him another shot at the exam. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because his grace extends farther than our denial every single time. It changes Peter. The only other thing that happened is he was in the upper room, and he was filled with the Spirit of God. And God did not give us a spirit of fear but he gave us a spirit of power and of love and of a self-control. And so, wherever the spirit of God is, fear ain't. And so, Peter is standing before these men and he said, there is one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And notice, none of the boldness comes from him. A bold witness and bold faith, does not mean being a jerk, man. It's not about pointing to you and what you can do. I'm reminded of the time years and years ago Gretchen and I had dinner with Dr. Billy Graham and when I asked him if you could preach one more crusade, what would it be on? And I mean, immediately he said, oh, that's easy. Galatians 6, 14, which says, far be it from me to boast in anything except our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and through him I have been crucified to this world and this world to me. Peter's saying, bro, this ain't about me. This ain't even about this man that's healed. This is about Jesus Christ who has been resurrected from the grave. So, verse 13. Now, when they, the Sanhedrin, saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. That describes the staff of 1122. (laughs) We got no superstars here. This is what they say they were uneducated common men and they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. May this be said of our church. Ain't no rock stars here. Ain't no celebrities here. Ain't no super talented people here. Bunch of, bunch of, this place is the island of misfit toys, is it not? I mean, look at your neighbor. That's what we're working with. Think about that for a second. They probably rode here with you, and you're like, oh, okay. Hey. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. My prayer through this 1010 Life is that the whole watching world, starting right here in Jacksonville and Jessup and Clay County and to the very ends of the earth would begin to see lives being changed. Babies being cared for, mamas being cared for, kids being fostered, first responders being loved, people with mental health issues being, being surrounded and loved on, senior adults engaged, okay? People being trafficked that they would be rescued and the whole world would look and they might not believe what we believe yet, but they would look at this and they would be astonished and have no opposition because of the changed lives. That's what we're talking about here. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, here's what happens here, okay? This is what religious committees do. They're gonna kick Peter and John out. Now they're gonna vote on whether God can do the things he's already done. That's what religious committees do. That's why we don't do committees here, okay? And this is what they're gonna do. Nobody, Everybody's okay with helping people. But you ever notice there's something about that name Jesus? Amen. I mean, there's some people who'd be okay with God, but man, Jesus is the dividing line. Amen. And they go, so you just gotta leave the Jesus stuff out of it. Verse 19, but Peter and John said to them, <laughs> whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now, if this is you Just just hang in there before all my regular folk. This is the hold my beer moment of the church. This is what it is. Peter is standing there, and they go, you keep doing what you're doing, but you got to stop with the name of Jesus. And Peter goes, here, hold this. Watch this. Let me tell you what I'm about to do. And he says this. <clears throat> he says, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. He's not talking about what we believe. People believe all kind of crazy stuff. They do, he's not talking about what we feel. People feel all kind of crazy stuff. Husbands, think about it, sometimes people feel the same thing that conflict with one another at the same time, help understand that. So this is not what it's based on. I need you to know that what Peter is saying is that our faith is not found in faith, our faith is found in a historical event and what the early disciples saw was an empty tomb. What they saw was a resurrected Christ. And so he says, you do whatever you think you got to do and that's between you and the Lord. But as for me and mine, we're gonna talk about what we have seen and heard. There is a bold witness. So let me ask you this question, church. Who do you need to tell what you've seen and heard? You see, around here at 1122, we've never tried to be a big church. We've always just tried to reach one more. Just one more. And where that one more language came from is this. In Acts 11:24, 24, talking about Barnabas, the Bible says this, and he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And in the kingdom of God, a great number is just one more. And so you need to identify who's your one more. Have you been praying for your one more? And maybe this week, you would take a bold step of faith to be a bold witness, and maybe you would share your faith. And that might be sharing invitation. Not come to church with me sometime, look at your phone. Look at your calendar. There's no sometime there. But pick A time. Meet me at 11. We'll run through McDonald's. We'll go to 1122 service because they'll need prayer if they do that. Amen? Whatever it is. You share an invitation. Maybe you share your story. Let me tell you what I've seen and heard. I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. This is what Jesus has done to me. Maybe, maybe you share a prayer request. What if you're the person in your office that just said, hey, listen, I'm gonna pray. How can I pray for you? You know what a heathen somebody would be to say, I reject prayer. I don't care what you believe, everybody wants some prayer when it catches on fire. That's a fact. Maybe you'll share another cup of coffee, because let me tell you what else will happen. Sometimes we, sometimes we get lazy and we give up on our one more, because you, you ask and you ask and you ask and you ask, and don't be annoying, but be persistent. And let me tell you what happens, man. When the wheels start falling off some lives of some people and it's coming, let me tell you where they run to. They don't run to their club buddies. They're gonna run to that praying purpose down there in cubicle three. Yeah, man. They had a bold faith and they had a bold witness. So be praying for you one more. And then the third thing I see here, if you start in verse 23, is they had bold prayers. The early church prayed different. The Bible says this in verse 23. And when they, that's Peter and John, were released from jail, by the way, they still smell like jail, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Because the group don't know. They don't have Instagram Live, be like, oh my gosh, did you see what happened? No. So Peter and John show up, and their friends are like, where have y'all been? And they're like, we're gonna tell you where we've been. It's crazy. We were going into the temple, and then this man said, you got any money? And Peter was like, we in ministry. We ain't got no money, but what I got, I'm gonna give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk, and booyah, that dude stood up. And the crowd would be like, John, are you serious? And John's like, for sure, man, Peter healed a guy. I can still outrun him, but Peter healed a guy. Then we got arrested and we're standing in front of the Sanhedrin and we're a little bit afraid, but then the Spirit of God filled us. And when the Spirit of God moved in, the fear moved out. And they said, whatever you do, you got to quit talking about Jesus. And Peter said, I'm about to tell you what I'm going to do. There is one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. So what did they do? So they let us out, but they said, we got to quit talking or even worse things are going to happen. That was the report. It's not like a report. They just told the story. And look at the response of the early church. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said. Their first response was prayer. What's your first response? Is prayer for you a first response or a last resort? I'm gonna tell you what most of our first responses are, to plan. I mean, think about this. Even in our church, Spirit-filled church, if, Pastor Britt and I got arrested today, which I could get arrested with him real quick, okay? But if we were on the way to the Jags game and somebody came up and I cast out a demon and they spewed pea soup and it got on somebody and then they locked us up and I was like, anybody want to get saved? And 5,000 people get saved and then they finally let us out and we were gone for a few days and then we showed up and the leaders and the elders got together and be like, where you been? Like, dude, it was crazy. I'll tell you where we've been. We were going in and there was a demonic possessed guy and I cast out a demon and raised up a dude to be healed. Then we got arrested. You know what most, of, most church leaders would do? We need a plan. You two can't go in public anymore. <laughs> we need a PR strategy. You know what the early church did? They prayed. And look at what they pray. See, here's the problem if you plan first. Remember, John 10, he's a good shepherd. He speaks to his sheep. The sheep don't tell the shepherd what to do. And so many times we come up with these really, really good plans and then ask the shepherd to come bless our plans. That's not the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to first and foremost go to the shepherd and say, if you say it, I'll do it. Wherever you lead me, I will go. And then look how they pray. Their first words, sovereign Lord. This is comical. Here's what they're saying. You know what sovereign means? God, we are acknowledging that you are in charge of all things and that you were not surprised by our arrest. Sovereign Lord, let me tell you, most of us pray. Dear God, help me curse them, amen. That's how we pray, not them. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, and now they're going to quote scripture. Listen, man, you wanna make sure your prayers get answered in heaven, why don't you start with words that originated in heaven? You just pray the word of God back to God. That's what they do. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And now they're gonna move to the cross. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And don't worry, man, don't worry. That that word predestined, it just means to predestine. It's just what it means. God doesn't take a poll, doesn't take a vote. The sovereign king of the universe does what he wants with who he wants, whenever he wants, for his own glory. And that should bring you great relief. Here's what they're saying. They don't look first at their circumstances. They look first at the cross. And they're saying... On this side of the resurrection, God, we can see that you were at work in all things, including the murder of your very own son for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So if you can handle the redemption of all things and the resurrection of your son, surely you can handle this little thing we're going to through. Why? Because if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. That's what they're praying. Verse 29, and now, Lord, here's their request, ready? And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Now, don't look at your Bible, look at me. And what do you think they're gonna say? Stop them, change them. That's not even what they pray for. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Now, if you're a consultant for this church, you would say, I don't think you have a boldness problem. I think you got a PR problem. But we don't care, man. We wanna be filled with the Spirit, and we wanna have a bold faith and a bold witness, and we are praying big, audacious, bold prayers. And here's what they're praying while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. On the first week of this, we gave every one of us one of these bracelets right here. It says 1010, and we said every day at 1010, and if you're up for two 1010s, which I am, then you should pray at both of them. How's your prayer life right now? Are you praying these kind of big, bold, audacious, crazy prayers? Because I'm going to tell you, if your prayers are not intimidating to you, they may be a little insulting to God. Because what we do is not, we're not supposed to make a plan and then ask Him to come bless our plan, but we want to be the kind of people. Like, what if you added these very words? God, how about stretch out your hand to heal, and why don't you bring signs and wonders that would be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, and God, here I am. Would you use me to make these things happen? And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. When's the last time you've been shaken at a prayer meeting? They were shaken, like physically emotionally, spiritually shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Here it comes again. Why, because the Spirit shows up to people that want him to fill them up. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I need you to pray big, bold, audacious kind of prayers. The kind of prayers that if God doesn't come through, then there's no way it's happening. You see, they had bold faith. They had a bold witness, they prayed bold prayers, and the last one, the fourth thing I see here is this. There was a, I don't know what to call it though, so there's a problem. Like bold sacrifice, but I don't love the word sacrifice. Because is it really a sacrifice to give up something that you can't keep, to gain something that can never be taken away from you? Is that a sacrifice? Like if you drive by McDonald's to go to a nice steakhouse, did you sacrifice the McNugget? I don't think so, you got something better. So I don't love the word sacrifice. I thought about calling it bold generosity, but how can you be generous to God if it's all his? It's all, he's the generous one that lavishes love upon us. So maybe the word is bold surrender, but there was a bold financial surrender here. It says this, now the full number of those who had believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, let me be clear about this. This is not government-forced communism. This is voluntary sacrifice and stewardship. These things are very, very different. I told you this before, but you need to hang on to this. People think about money in three different ways. Some people think what's mine is mine. That's called selfishness. Some people think what's yours is mine. On an individual level, that's called stealing. When the government does it, it's called socialism. What... What the Bible would have us understand is what's mine is God's. That's called stewardship. God, it's all yours, and I want to glorify you with all of it. So that's what's going on here. That's what's going on. And then notice what happens. Their generosity is going to fuel the gospel ministry. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses or motorcycles or second houses or cars or whatever these physical stored resources are, they sold them and they brought the proceeds of what was sold. You see, we've been spending a lot of time talking about what is first and best, what is trusting God with your first and best. And oftentimes what that means is, God, based on what you are going to bring to me in in regards to income, I am going to bring to you the first and best of that. But they didn't stop there. They also looked in the rearview mirror to say, God, I want to honor you with some things that you have already bought to me. They trusted God with all of it, with some stored resources, with some land. So listen, you wanna do something real bold, I dare you to do this. I dare you to write down the five most valuable things that you have. And I don't mean like a picture of Nana, that ain't what we're talking about, okay? My puppy. And just simply say, Lord, what are you asking me to do with these? Are you Do you want me to hang on to them for now? Praise God for that, no problem. You do whatever it is that he says to do. Or are you asking me to transfer some things from my account to your account for the glory of God? That's what they were doing here in the first century. And then they laid it all at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. You see, the church begins to mature in Acts chapter two. They just met one another's needs. By the time you get to Acts four, they begin to to organize and they trusted the leadership of the church. This is what we are doing in the 1010 life. That we will make a commitment next week and we will say, all right, this, this represents, God, my first and my best that I am bringing to you. And then every single bit of it will go to church life and eternal life and abundant life and we will distribute it to as any who have need. Verse 36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This was a bold surrender. There was bold faith, there was a bold witness, there were bold prayers, and there was bold surrender, financially bold surrender, and those things, those two chapters propelled the church for the next 2,000 years. What we, what you and I do in regards to the 1010 life over these next two weeks will propel this church into the future. My mom was here at the nine o'clock service. She came in for the weekend, which is great. And as I was preparing this sermon, she came on Thursday. And she, was, she came to the earlier service and I was thinking about a very valuable lesson my mama taught me about finances and resources when I was a little kid. She and I used to play board games together, okay? And board games will reveal things about a person. Do you know this? You wanna know who a human really is, there are some things that will reveal. When, when you play a board game, you will find out who's the rule keeper the rule bender and the rule breaker, right? Fasting will do that too. If you ever, when we fast as a church, we find out who the rule keepers are and who the rule benders are. Golf will do that. You find out who's honest and who's a liar. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so board games will do that. And our favorite one to play was Monopoly. And I remember we'd play, we would actually leave it set up for multiple days because nobody has ever finished a game of Monopoly. We were the first people in the history of the planet to ever finish the game Monopoly. And I don't know if you can pick this up about me, but I love to win. I mean, a lot. I don't even care what it is. And if I have to bend a rule or break a rule to win, I'll probably do that. You understand what I'm saying? And I would always pick the car. Why? Because it's the fastest. My mom would pick the thimble. I'd say, ain't no way to even win with a thimble. And so we start playing and I remember the first time it began to shift in my favor and it looked like I was gonna win. Because I had Park Place, I had Boardwalk, I had put some hotels on there, I put some houses on there, I had all the railroads. She had that little weak sauce over at Marvin Gardens or whatever, whatever, fuchsia, I don't even know what color that is, you know. And I remember at the end, the little thimble comes bebopping around, going by her all old weak junk, and it landed right there on boardwalk. And I said, ha ha, you are busted, give it to me. And I felt so, I feel good telling the story right now. That's kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> she took all the money that she had, she pushed it over to my little side of the table. She's like, you feel good, don't you? I like, I feel so good. She says, why? I goes, because I won. She says, you won what? And then she said, let me teach you a little lesson. And she gets the box out, and with one swoop, she goes, it all goes back in the box. Bloop. <laughs> Go clean your room. That's what happened, okay? So, <laughs> <laughs> You know what the disciples knew? It all goes back in the box. You won what? You won what? It all goes back in the box. Am I going to take the things that God has given me and think that I am going to be a cul-de-sac of God's blessing, or am I going to be a conduit of the advancement of the kingdom of God? Two weeks ago, I was preaching at my friend J.D. Greer's church, and he's doing a generosity series at his church right now, and we're kind of swapping notes. And this past week, he put a flux capacitor on stage. Google it. It helped Marty get back to the future. You don't even know what it is, okay? Flux capacitor. And he asked this question to his church. He said, "If I gave you $1,000 and you could get into the DeLorean and do the flux capacitor and go back to any year of your life, what would you go back to?" And his answer was, "I'd go back to 1997." And the reason he picked 1997, one, that's where he met his wife, but also he remembers a specific time in his life in 1997 where he had saved up enough money to buy two things that he thought were going to change his world. A DVD player and a Nintendo 64, okay? And you know what those things are worth today? Nothing. I don't, if somebody gave me a DVD, I wouldn't even know how to watch it these days. Like if it ain't on YouTube, you can't watch it. You know what else happened in 1997? Amazon went public for $18 a share. Can you imagine if he'd have taken his $1,000 and he did not invest in the DVD or the Nintendo 64? What would he have sacrificed? What would he have missed out on? Couple of, couple of Tecmo Bowls? Little Mario Kart, right? That's it. Maybe he, maybe he couldn't watch the original Tom Cruise movies, you know, Top Gun but if he would invested in that in Amazon, it was worth $18 today. I don't even, can't even do, I'm not good with numbers. All I know about numbers is the book of the Bible, but I'm telling you this. He would gladly go back to that moment and say, why in the world would I chase after these temporary things when I could make an investment that would change the future? This is what the early church saw. Now, they weren't prophetic and they could see the future, but what they saw was Jesus come out of the grave and tell them to take the gospel into the very ends of the earth. And so they were willing to take bold steps of faith. What's the bold step of faith you need to take? They were willing to be a bold witness to say there is one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. That They were paying bold, audacious prayers to the point where they were shaken and the Spirit of God was filling them to be bold. And they were willing to boldly surrender the temporary things of this world for the advancement of the church, for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Next week at all of our services, that's what we're going to do, and that's what these cards represent. This week, I want you to pray like crazy. What bold step, God, are you calling me to take? Because he's a good shepherd, and he will speak to you, and the words that he speaks to his sheep always lead to the abundant life, and that's what he wants for you. Church, what bold steps do you need to take? Would you please stand? Let me pray for you. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you more than anything because you first loved us. And God, I thank you for the boldest step of all that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come on a rescue mission for us. God, you walked through the door of our hardened hearts and you rescued us, you redeemed us. You boldly loved us and then are willing to fill us with your spirit that fear would flee and that we would walk in a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, of self-control. So Lord, I pray for every man, every woman, every student in this place. That we would be just average, ordinary, uneducated men and women but we have been with Jesus, and you use us to turn the world upside down. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Church, we're gonna respond to the gospel. We're gonna sing, because sometimes when the Spirit of God directs you in a way, you think, ain't no way, but he's the way maker. That's what we're gonna sing. And we're gonna bring our tithes and our offerings, our first and our best as an act of worship, and we are going to pray. And I would ask you, why don't we make this like the prayer meeting in the first century? Why don't you come on down and kneel before our God and our maker and why don't we pray big, bold, audacious kinds of prayers to the point where the whole world is shaken. So let us sing, let us bring, let us pray. Let us respond.